How's everybody doing? You doing good? You look good. You look good. Well, this is, uh, uh, thank you, Cole. I was fishing for that, but these folks just were not feeling it. <laughs> oh, man, this is our final message. In uh, We opened up this year with a study in the Psalms, Psalm 23. Uh, how we're not to give the enemy a place at the table. God uh, prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, but we're not to go ahead and pull out a chair and have him sit down. Uh, that was Psalm 23. And then we went to Psalm 103, which is really almost the entire Bible in one psalm. And uh, today we're going to finish out the last three verses. And then we're going to switch, and we're going to uh, do a, our next series is going to focus on Christ, on Jesus, and the journey to the cross, and uh, you know how He was able to teach that, and uh, what that means for us today. So that's that's going to be coming here as we, you know, prepare for Easter. But we want to close out strong today. I think this is going to be hopefully one of those topics the Psalm brings out that many of you, if not all of you, have had to deal with and and go through yourself, as well as maybe answer questions from others who have this same struggle. So Heavenly Father, as we open up the Word of God this morning, I pray right now, right now, God, you'd open up our hearts, that this wouldn't be checkout time, that this wouldn't be mental drift time, this wouldn't be thinking about our grocery list time, but that, Lord, we would listen for what you are speaking to us, God, uh, for some, it may be every word you speak through me. For others, it may be one sentence that's said this morning. But God, I pray that we would find what you would have us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have seen that movie, Unbroken? It's like one of my favorite movies. It's okay if you haven't seen it because I like odd movies. But, um, but Unbroken is the story of a World War II pilot who was shot down and with his buddies and adrift in the Pacific for over a month. And, you know, they barely survived. I mean, it's hard to survive without food and water as it is, uh, let alone adrift under a hot sun in the Pacific. And so, um, obviously, it rained enough where they survived a month and they were able to ration some of their food. But the interesting thing about the movie is, is as you watch it and, you know, it's a struggle of prayer between the main character, Louis Zamperini, and God, you know. And, and while he's in the raft, you know, he's just praying, God, if you deliver me, I promise I will serve you the rest of my life, you know. And so, you know, a storm comes, rain comes, all these things come. And finally, you know, God sends them a, a seagull to eat. And, uh, and at that moment, in the middle of the movie, he kind of is like, God, I will give you the rest of my life. He, it's almost like, God, you've saved me, and now I'm going to give you the rest of my life. And I remember thinking to myself, that line usually comes at the end of the movie, not in the middle. So I was kind of like, whoa, what's going to happen? You know something's bad going to happen because he's, he's saying the climactic line too soon. And sure enough, yeah, they survive getting food, they survive getting water, they survive on the open Pacific Ocean only to be captured uh, by the Japanese uh, and, and then sent to a prison camp for, I don't know, four, five, six years, whatever it is. And, and, and of course, you know, at the end, 
I mean, they don't really show his sort of coming back to God. You see that in the next film, uh, the, the sequel to it. But it kind of brings us back to that topic of, is God really in control the way we think he is? And how does God's control play out? I want to read the final three verses. This time, I actually do want to read them all so you kind of have them in your mind as we're going through this. Beginning in verse 19, David writes this, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over what? All. That's what we struggle with. David says, Praise the Lord, you his angels. Praise the Lord, you mighty ones who do his bidding. That's another way of saying angels. Who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all, you have, all his heavenly hosts. You, his servants who do his will. Keep going. And then praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. One of the most controversial Bible verses you'll find in the Bible is Psalm 103, verse 19 where it says the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. There are many reasons people can give you not to believe this verse, just as many as there are to believe it. It is often confusing and misunderstood because it goes into an area of Christian understanding called God's sovereignty, meaning that God ultimately is in charge and rules over all. Now, when you look at the definition of sovereignty, it simply means that God has legal authority over all and everything that happens under heaven and the earth. So many well-meaning people translate this to mean God is in control of everything. Now, if you get nothing else today, please get this. Yes, God is in control, but he has chosen not to control everything and everybody. Does that make sense? And it is the paradox of the Bible. God is still in control of the heavens and the earth, but does not control you. Now, how can God be in control when you are not, be, and you, when you are not controlled? That's the beauty of God's power. It goes beyond our understanding. It goes beyond our thinking. But just because someone has ultimate governing authority does not mean that they're always going to use it as a control freak. There is a measure of free will that God has given us. There's a measure of free will that God has given us to do things against his will and against his sovereignty. But under his sovereign reign, however, God's power, authority, and his character cannot be shaken by human affairs, nor can it be thwarted by the devil, his demons, nor angels. God simply doesn't use his free will to violate ours. Now, our problems, you know, ultimately, when we talk about God is in control, we think in a very macro sense, you know, God is in control of the universe. God is in control of the stars and the starry hosts. God is in control of all the angels. God's in control of the ecology of the earth. You know, he makes sure that there's summer and winter come and the oceans and everything. I mean, God, on a macro sense, we think, oh, yeah, God is in control. That's great. The problem starts when God being in control becomes more personal. To say that God controls the stars is one thing. But to say that God oversees everything that happens to me, the good and the bad, 
the happy and the sad, the positive and the negative, that these are all part of a working out of his plan for me? We struggle with that, God. Because, if, of course, if we were all God, nothing bad would ever happen. And nothing bad would ever happen to us. This is where we have our disconnect with God often. And when we run into unexpected trouble, we cry out to God, hey, God, just who's running this show, right? You ever have that moment? God, just who's running all this? Because it doesn't seem like anybody's in control, and I'm just on the river left to chance and fate, and bad things are happening. We wonder about Psalm 103, verse 19. Does his kingdom truly rule over all? Every time there's an all, that's, yeah, that's your key this morning. You got to say all every time I do that. <laughs> let's, go, the, let's go to the three main reasons. These are three classic reasons. These have been written since the Gospels were written. There have been three reasons why human beings struggle with God, okay? And the first one is this, unexplained tragedies. Tornadoes ripped through Kentucky this year. People lost lives, people lost homes, people lost stuff unexplained tragedy i mean i suppose we could explain it with the ecology of the of the you know of, of the united states but the fact of the matter is it was a tragedy china uh, many people don't know this it didn't really make our news china experienced a devastating earthquake last year where they lost tons of stuff in 2008 a tsunami took out 250,000 people in nigeria Christian school kids are regularly abducted. And school shootings in America, unheard of before Columbine in 1999, seem to have become the norm. So we ask ourselves, how is God sovereign when the world seems to be so much about tragedy? And this is one of the primary reasons we struggle with God. When, we, when these things happen, we continue to ask, just who is running this show? Now, there's lots of ways to answer that question. But in the final analysis, when it comes to unexplained tragedies, the fact of the matter is, we don't know. That answer is not given to us. God knows that answer is not given to us. If we could understand that answer, I think it would be given to us. But there's something about the way we are now where we just have to file that away and know that there is an answer and that it's going to come later. Sometimes later in our lives, we can look back and see why maybe a tragedy happened and there was a greater good out of it. Like, like Joseph, right, in Genesis 50, he realized, wow, I was sold into slavery. I thought that all these things happened so that I could save my people. And he accepted that. Sometimes we get that answer in this life. Sometimes you have to wait until the next. Why do these things happen? I don't know. Is God still real? Yes, he is. Is God still good? All the time. And all the time, God is good. Did God get a pass when he was on the earth? No. Just ask Jesus how the cross felt. You know? Uh, just because tragedies happen doesn't mean that God ultimately doesn't have a plan. Romans 8.28 reminds us that God can bring good even from unexplained tragedies. The second thing is, and this is the one that really hit me, I, I get tragedies. I understand that, you know, God's not the micromanager, and I may fall and break my leg, or someone may break my heart. I get that. I get, I get tragedies. This is the one. 
This is the one that messes with our sense of justice, right? When good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, you get an unfaithful spouse who leaves another spouse, and the two of them seem so happy and prosperous, prosperous, and they're doing just fine. A coworker cheated you out of a promotion or out of money, and it seems to be working out just great for them. A job that you've had for years, and all of a sudden, you're on the short list for being laid off. Maybe being hurt or abused as a child when all you wanted to do was please everybody and be nice to everybody. A family or a friend who always seems to mock God and live carefree and make you feel stupid for believing in God, and they're just happy and happy and happy while you struggle and struggle to make ends meet. What does it mean to say his kingdom rules over all? When we get kicked in the teeth, we all have to grapple with that question. If you don't grapple with that question, sooner or later you may end up losing your faith because this happens. The Bible dedicates an entire psalm, Psalm 73, to work out what to do when this happens. And I encourage you, if this is one of your big ones, you can start reading Psalm 73 right now while I'm preaching. That's fine, because it, ans- it really tackles number two here. But the fact of the matter is, is not while, even while I struggled like Job did, you know, Job thought, well, if you were ethical, if you were nice, if you were moral, if you worshiped God, then nothing bad would ever happen to you. Life's rewards would be for you, and life's punishments would be for the wicked, the lazy, the cheats, and the mockers. But the fact of the matter is, is that's not entirely true. We can observe that. Again, it's, I can't say necessarily that I have an answer for that. Some of those things... God didn't even really give Job an answer other than to say, Job, you've got to trust me that even when bad things happen, you still belong to me. And that was good enough for Job. Back God, Job, blessed Job twice as much in the second part of his life than he did in his first. And then there's the third one. This one's kind of funny because this, while this has always been one, I feel like this is one is a growing one for many people. And the third reason we struggle is the existence of Satan and demons. A lot of people are so put off by this teaching in the Bible that there even is a devil, that they abandon it altogether. God wouldn't allow a devil and demons to come down and try to destroy the lives of God's people here on earth. God would definitely not allow that. And yet when you look through the Bible, you see Satan pestering and hindering people all throughout the pages of Scripture. There's a definite belief in a dark hierarchy whose plan is not to give you a good life, but to destroy your life, even if he'll destroy your life by giving you the good life. Amen? Over the last 22 years, I won't go into detail, but about maybe as many times as I can count on two hands. So it's not like this happens all the time. But about as many times as I can count on two hands, I have had the odd ministry of casting out a demon or doing a deliverance on a person who was spiritually oppressed or possessed. So I can, I can tell you this. I can never go to bed saying, I don't know if there's a devil or not. I know there is. And I hope you believe me that I would not lie to you and say that there, there is when there isn't. There is. And the interesting thing is, in recent years, I have 
come to understand Satan's power as far more than those ten times where it explodes out of a human being. Here's a good case in point. One time I had a couple come in for counseling, and they were on the brink of divorce. And they were pretty set to get divorced. Now, here's the odd thing. They really couldn't tell me why. When you're a pastor and you come in and they say we're getting divorced, what does the pastor often do? They ask a lot of questions, right? So, of course, I, you know, are you broke? No, no, we're doing this fine. Okay. Um, do you fight a lot? Well, define a lot. Well, you know, every day. Well, no, not really. You don't fight that much. You know. Do you no longer love each other? No. We love each other. We're doing this because we love each other. Hmm. You know. Uh, are you cheating on each other? Nope. Nope, not cheating on each other. Not. And y- halfway through the meeting, I'm just beginning to get this weird thing. You know what? This is the enemy. I said, it, you know, because no definable thing to pray for. I can't pray for finances. I can't pray for, for, I can't pray, you know. And all of a sudden I said, you know what, let's take hands. And I just want to pray something. You are not going to understand this. And I knew they wouldn't. This was going to be beyond. But I'm just going to pray something, and then I want you to come back in two weeks. And so we prayed, and I'm praying to break the power of the enemy off their marriage, break the power, you know, just break the devil's power of work from working in their life. And when they came back later, they wanted to talk about marriage, but there was no mention of divorce. There was no, they never mentioned it again. And the older I get and the more I've walked, I've realized that's the prayer we need to start with. That's where we began. Because so often that's, you know, there's this attack that's coming. And I, and I don't, we won't go into why it's an authorized attack. It is for now. But I can, we can kind of go into this. Is God sovereign over the devil? Absolutely. Why doesn't he destroy him? He will. He will. I hope that's good news for you. He will. (laughs) Until then, we live on the battlefield of spiritual conflict between God and Satan and good and evil. Now, we happen to be on the winning side, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer casualties in the ebbs and flows of the battle. But it can still seem, it can seem like God is not in control when the enemy attacks our lives. So how do we process this? How do we process, you know, we've got these three things, and these three things that, you know, don't always have a clear answer, why tragedies happen, or why bad things happen to good people, or why the enemy picks on us from time to time. And, 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 and believe me, I hear from people who say, I will never believe in God. It is usually one of those they're hung up on. They can't get past one of those, one of those three you see right now on the screen. Can't get past it, so they, they, they just can't even get to first base with God because they can't get past these things, all right? I'm praying and hoping now that not only ha- have all of you been able to get past this, but that many of you will be reminded and agree with how, once we get past these, how do we still live with a sense that God is in control even when these things happen? Amen? Number one is this. Take the top-down approach to life. We can kind of look at life one of two ways. You can look at it from the bottom up, 
or the top down. Now let me explain that. From the top down means that everything that happens, we start with God and then go downward toward the problems and situations of life. Uh, going, <coughs> starting, you know, bottom up, we start with the problem and try to work upwards to God. Instinctively, we are born with a bottom-up approach. We are born when something bad happens, when we're feeling anxious, when we're feeling depressed. It is very hard to start with God first and then attack the problem. We start right there in the mix of the problem. We feel all those feelings. We let those emotions consume us. We let that self-talk overtake us. And all of a sudden, we're trying to get to God, but we can't because we have so much of ourselves to filter through before we get there. Taking the top down starts with God. And I will be honest with you. I've met few people who do this well, including myself. But I did serve a pastor a few churches ago. When something bad would happen, he would just go, God, what are you up to? He would start with God. I, it just always started there. When something good would happen, he would go, now God, why did this good thing happen? You know, he got blessed financially once. My first thought would be Disneyland, yes. And I remember him going, God, what is the purpose of this blessing? What is the purpose of this money? Something horrible would happen. And I'd be like, that's so horrible, that's so bad, I can't believe that happened. Uh, da, 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 da. And I'm just sitting here focusing on the problem, and he's just kind of kicking back going, you know, God, what you, what you up to here? What's going on? It was beautiful to watch. Not that he didn't feel grief, not that he didn't have feelings and emotions, but they were all filtered through that top-down approach. God, what are you doing here? God, what are you up to? God, where, where is this? Where am I supposed to maneuver in all this? And uh, he's still my friend today. He's still my pastor today. He's still my mentor today. And I still call him because I will unload a problem and I can't wait to hear him say, well, let's just take this to the Lord and see what God has to say about this. I'm like, yes, thank you. Can I just put you in my back pocket, you know? Can you just stay with me everywhere I go? <laughs> <coughs> what difference does it make? Huge difference. If we live bottom up and fail to do top down, it can be a huge difference. It can be the difference between a life of joy and bitterness or bitterness could be the difference between living in self-pity or victorious faith. could be the difference between perseverance through an issue or quitting. If you start with you, most likely you'll end with you. And if you start with God, most likely you'll end with God. Start with the problem, then you'll probably never leave the problem. Because eventually the problem will replace God at the top and consume your life with it. But if you start with God, you've started in the place, the only place where you can really get any lasting answers to how to deal with life on earth as it comes. <coughs> and you'll end with God because it'll seem futile to solve anything without his spirit guiding you. So that's the first thing is, if you remember nothing else today, remember that I want to take a top-down approach from here on out. God, 
what are you doing with this? What's going on? And how can I work this out with you rather than apart from you? Number two, remember that appearances can be deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. Oh my goodness, can they ever. Boy, we can put on a fake smile. We can put on fake happiness. In fact, I've seen people do it so long for so many years that I don't even think they know their real happiness anymore. They don't even know what their real smile looks like anymore. They're so used to their manufactured production. But the fact of the matter is, is it's not real. It's not true. Appearances can be very, very deceiving. It may look at times like God is not sovereign. But if you could peel back and see what you don't see, right? This is, uh, you know, one of the great stories of the Bible is in Daniel. Daniel is praying because he, he, needs, he needs God to answer in a prayer. And it takes three weeks for that answer to come. And it comes in the form of a glorious angel that shows up in front of Daniel. And the angel explains why he's late. Isn't that weird? <laughs> the angel explains why he's late. But I'm sure during that three weeks, it probably appeared to Daniel that God hadn't heard his prayer, wasn't in control, didn't have any power to do anything, and just forgot about Daniel. The angel shows up and says, no, I, I'm sorry, it took me three weeks because I was fighting one of the arch demons over Persia. Pretty good excuse if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> just because it looks a certain way sometimes you got to remember if you peel back what we see on the surface there's all the invisible realm that we don't see i remember one time a pastor said are is there anything you're thankful for you know pray what you're thankful for i remember stupidly i was young i said i just can't think of anything that you know nothing bad happened this week but nothing really good happened this week. It was just a normal week. I got up, I ate breakfast, I went to work, I went to bed, I got up. You know, I did that five times. Yesterday I slept all day and now I'm here. <laughs> he, said, he said, yeah, but you're not thinking about what you didn't see. The ways in which God moved in your life that you may have been unaware of. Angels that you may have entertained unaware that they were angels and once he said that that opened up a whole new world for me and it began to be very easy to be grateful and say you know what god these things are happening but i believe in the unseen realm i still belong to you and you are working in my life amen number three last one on, i know on your discussion sheet it's a little wrong so everybody take out your pens. You can fix it. Number three is this. Worship and worry cannot coexist. Worship and worry cannot go coexist. Dace, David ends this psalm essentially where he begins. Focusing on the benefits of praise. Now God does not need our praise at all. He does not call us to praise and worship him because somehow God needs the affirmation of our praise and worship. 
God never calls us to do anything because he need, he's needy in that way and he needs from us. God is completely self-sufficient all in and of himself. So when God calls us to a life of praise and worship, and it's not because he needs it, because he needs to feel a little more like God, then why do you think he's calling us to a life of praise and worship? Because we need it. Because we need to worship God. We need sometimes to tell the Lord, tell our, tell our soul, you're going to praise the Lord today. When we honestly get vulnerable enough with God, that we open our hearts with praise, we become stronger, clearer, calmer, and ready to face the storm. So David ends the psalm with these words. Praise the Lord, you as angels. Praise the Lord, you mighty ones who do his bidding and who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all you heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. And then David turns it on himself. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. I haven't lived long. The birthday I'm going to celebrate this Sunday is not even one where there's a five in front of my age. So I don't consider myself to have lived long enough to consider myself wise yet. But when I'm 50, that's going to change. <laughs> One day, I'm going to gain so much wisdom. You wait till the first sermon after my 50th birthday. It's going to be awesome. Three more years for that. <laughs> Thank you, Carmen. <laughs> I was going to say 15, but nah. Who, who's, who's kidding himself, right? That's right. <laughs> 15 in lunar years, right? Uh, anyway, so uh, David says, praise the Lord. I, when I look back, I haven't always handled hard times well. I haven't always handled tragedy well. But I can say this. When I come into church and honestly worship and praise, it doesn't mean that the problem has gone away. It does mean that I went from bottom up to top down. Somehow or another, I leave that setting and I'm reminded I've got to start with God and then go to the problem rather than starting with the problem and trying to get to God. You never get there. And that's why I think, that's why I think David had in his head. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, because when you start with God, you start with the one who truly has the power to help you. And the only lasting answers that make sense. I've told this story before, but it's one that really fits here. It's a story about a boy who built a toy boat. And if you remember the story, he launched his boat into the river. And it was a it was a very well built boat. The river took it and took it and took it. He's running down, he's trying to catch up to the boat, but eventually that boat is gone. And he's sad. Somebody else finds the boat and says, man, that's a great boat. That could be worth some money. So he takes it to the local pawn shop and he pawns off the boat and he gets money for it. 
The pawn shop owner says, that's an amazing boat. So he puts it in the front window of his store with a price tag on it. Now the boy who built the boat sees the boat and he goes in and he says, Mr. Store Owner, that's my boat. I built it. The store owner says, sorry, it's mine now. And if you want it, you're going to have to pay for it. The boy's sad, but not defeated. He walks out of the store, and he starts doing odd jobs, mowing lawns, painting fences, anything he can do to scrape up a little bit of cash. And, he, and he's working hard because he wants to get this boat back. So finally one day he has enough money, the boat's still there, and he gives the pawn shop. He buys back the boat he made. When it was over, he looked at the boat and he said, I made you, but then I lost you. But now I have found you, and I have bought you. You are mine forever. And that's how it is with us of God. He made us, but then we went and got lost. He found us, and he bought us. He bought us with the precious blood of Jesus on the cross. And now we are his. The moment you gave your heart and your life to Christ. Do you know what God said? He didn't say, good job. I'm so glad. We're going to have a great time together. I'm sure that was on his heart. But you know what? He said three words. When you prayed that prayer and his Holy Spirit is now filling inside your soul, the dead spirit is now come back to life and you're now going to live forever in heaven. The three words that God said to you is this. You are mine. You belong to me. And you know what? Life's going to throw at you some pretty tough stuff. But as long as you can sit back and say, you know what? I belong to God. And however he chooses to express his sovereign rule over the universe, I trust his way of doing it more than mine amen bow your heads with me close your eyes Prayer, worship team come forward this morning before we close out our time with the psalms I just want to ask you a very simple question are you his are you his do you belong to God Go ahead and close your eyes for a minute, bow your head. Those three things, those three hang-ups, I don't deny them. They're real hang-ups. They're things that God says it's good to struggle with them. Struggle with them. Work them out. Talk them out. Get, get, 
Get a little mad at him every now and then. But then come back to God. Say, God, I trust you. I may not understand how you rule the world, but I trust you because I belong to you. Pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I belong to you. I admit I need you. I confess the sins that I've had need to be forgiven by Jesus. So I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I ask you now, fill me with your spirit that I may stand in your love, acceptance, and forgiveness. For I, oh come on, say it loud. For I belong to you. Amen. Come on, let's give a shout of praise.